This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews. And once again, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raff. How's it going, Johnny? Not bad, Dan. Um, huge round. Uh, Anzac Day footy round. Uh, it's always different to the others, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's got that tradition running through. And I guess, you know, it's really, to me, it's still mostly about, you know, Essendon Collingwood in terms of the Anzac stuff. But they have spread that around a little more. Absolutely. Um, look, it's a different feeling that it's ran as that probably is the marquee game, but just great to see everyone coming together, united, and um, acknowledging those who sacrificed so much for us so we can live how we do today. Absolutely. It's a big uh, sacrifice that they all made, of course, and uh, it's good that we're able to remember them in such a great context that everyone enjoys and able to pause for even a short moment on that day. That's right. So let's jump straight into it then. What caught your eye from our Anzac round? Uh, well, look, the first thing was the Gold Coast. Um, the, they went into this game against Sydney uh, without a Ruckman and just played four quarters against uh, the upstart Sydney Swans and just really taught them a lesson. Their pressure was really up, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it was, I didn't see it coming. I think it was. Definitely was a foregone conclusion for me that the Swans would bounce back from their loss last week. But um, yeah, very, very impressive. I'd like to see it a little bit more on a regular basis. But yeah, they're off the mark. They're, you know, ready to go, I'd say. Yeah, I'm not quite sure why they had, had such a slow start to the season, really. Because normally they're pretty good early on while their kids are pretty fresh. But uh, I guess this was definitely their best performance of the season. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see whether they can back it up this week against Collingwood. That game's in Melbourne. I suppose most of their good performances over the years have come up in Gold Coast, so that'll be a big challenge, even though Collingwood's sitting in 17th. Well, it'll be a massive test, and if somehow they can get the win over the Pies, um, you know, things change very quickly in this league. So, yeah, we could see how they go. I think they've still got the right coach. Stewie Jew seems to be doing a good job. I don't know if you saw any of that Making Their Mark documentary, but... Yes. He seemed he seemed to uh, have the players on his side, and I guess he came out of the Sydney system, didn't he? So, like, I'm sure he's done his apprenticeship in the right spot, and he seems like the right guy for the job, even though it's still a bit of a slow build. Sorry, he actually impressed me the most in that documentary out of all the coaches. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of him, and, yeah, I think you got to stick the course. What in particular impressed you about him? Well... <laughs> I know this is silly, but I actually like the fact that he swore the least out of all the coaches. I did uh, notice that. There are a lot of F-bombs in the, oh, from the Leon coaches. Cameron was, <laughs> Leon Cameron was very hard to listen to after a while. Uh, Simo, I, I do like Adam Simpson, but yeah, like, he would occasionally do it a bit too much as well. But uh, I just thought when when Stewie did it, it was so rare that it actually made a big impact Um yeah, yeah, but he just seems like such a genuine guy, and I think he's really good for the kids. And yeah, I think they've definitely got the right guy. And when he tried to do the ride uh, with Matty Rao, where they were doing like the virtual ride up Everest, and he was getting owned <laughs> yeah. by the other two, but That's he right. kept he kept going. I thought yeah. uh, Matty Nix came off really well in that documentary as well, and that yes. was through that windless time as well. And you could really see his he, what he was he was trying to set up, you know, with the ball movement and the way he wanted them to play, but. They just couldn't quite get there, but they did in the last sort of six weeks of the season. So that was an interesting very, journey there. Very impressed with Manny Nicks in that show. Um, also, uh, it was 
I don't know if this had anything to do with Brad Cratch's departure, but I did enjoy the bit where he kind of disagreed with the, the tracking back and, um, and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, that and uh, I think Nick's just said something like, oh, well, if, you, if you're not going to buy into this, not talking to him directly, but no, no. if you're not going to buy into this, get your bag and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that no, was very forthright there. Yeah. So it's, it, it was an interesting look behind the scenes. But anyway, let's get back into what we do. Um, so for me, what caught my eye was it was actually Adelaide. 15 straight goals before they kicked a point against the Hawks in Launceston. Tricky conditions Very... all the way down there. <laughs> 15 straight, though. Oh, yeah, a lot happening in that game. Um, I'm going to touch on that a little bit later. But uh, yeah, yeah, just that would be a heartbreaking loss, to be honest, yeah. So just for a little bit of context... They held a 32-point lead in the third quarter. And, yeah, that's when Hawthorne just sort of went bang towards the end of that quarter. And uh, it was a bit of a slog in the last quarter, quite low scoring. But uh, Hawks managed to just get over the line, even though Adelaide kicked a crazy straight 16 goals three. So less scoring shots, but obviously plenty of goals. And it was their debutant, Philthorpe, which is a tricky name to say. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think you went number one. No, number two in last year's draft. So, uh, first unprotected two, yeah. pick. Yeah. So, he was very impressive as well. Yeah, very, very impressive, actually. Yeah. and, and he, Sorry, how many did he kick again? Five. Yeah. Five on debut. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think it Not was the most ever. Not bad. Most ever by an Adelaide player on debut. So, on bright debut. future, wow. you'd expect. Incredible. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we're actually going to do a slightly different format today. So we're not going to do match the round. We'll be back next week, I expect. But we came up with this idea after six rounds of laying a bit of a marker. So we're going to try and separate the teams between contenders and pretenders. So is your team a contender or are they a pretender? Just to add a slightly more complexity, there will actually be three layers. So... We'll say flag contenders versus contenders, just for the eight, really. And then pretenders, they're kind of out of it. Or, you know, they're the teams that look like they might do something, but really, you know, they're just pretenders. So every single team is going to get a bit of uh, attention here. So we're going to go 1 to 18 and uh, lay some markers down, see uh, where everyone's at and uh, what's happening. So let's start at the top of the ladder, the Western Bulldogs, with a percentage of 175 for good measure. <laughs> so they're pretty close to outscoring their opposition 2-1 to one at the moment. <laughs> so miserly defence. And uh, I think it's pretty obvious here. They're definitely flag contenders now. So first six games, all wins, and... Uh, they're flag contenders. There's no doubt about that, in my mind. No doubt about it. Um, Josh Dunkley's a big injury, but they've got more than enough to cover him in the midfield. Uh, forward setup's been good. English down doesn't help, but th- yeah, look, I don't think they're having any trouble scoring at the moment, so I definitely think they're a flag contender. Yeah, I think they'll be able to cover these few injuries they've got, although Dunkley is a big injury because he's really impactful in what he does, both, you know, just amassing the possessions, contested possessions, and often kicking a few goals as well. So he will be hard to cover. 
But uh, Bulldogs do have a plenty of uh, midfielders who can pick up some of the slack, hopefully. So as you mentioned, forward line functioning extremely well. Norton Bruce and English and a few smalls to pick up the crumbs. But what really caught my eye, people would say they probably have the deepest midfield in the comp now, but they're all goal kickers. Like, yes. you know, how important goal kicking midfielders are. Trelaw, Bontempelli, Hunter, Libertore even, McRae, Bailey Smith, they're all actually pretty good around goals. So it's not uncommon for any one of these guys to be kicking between sort of one and three goals in a game. So although they do have those tools, that midfield goal kicking depth, I think, is going to stand them in really good stead throughout the season. They all get on the score sheet, that's right. Uh, and there's not really that many midfielders in the competition that are renowned as goal-kicking midfielders. So if you've got a few of them on your on your team, it's... It's definitely it's a point of difference have. to have yeah, that many. Like, I, like, If you're going to do it, they'll be a little bit more stingy with it. Trelaw, yes. Bontempelli, yes. Hunter. I think, yeah, Hunter's a pretty good kick for goal yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely. Maybe not Libba, like, although he does get on the scoreboard occasionally. He's good for a goal or two, yeah. 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 But, uh, and I'm not sure, Bailey Smith, I've seen his name on the team sheet a few times for goals, but I'm not sure how good around goals there are. But still, there's a good sort of three or four guys there you could rely on. So, Absolutely. it's a good uh, little additional thing to have as well as a well-functioning forward line. So that's the Bulldogs. It's pretty hard to say they're not a flag contender if you're on top of the ladder without losing so (laughs) that was a pretty easy one so we're going to mix this up a little bit so we're going to go in somewhat of a random order so from first we're going to go to last 18th so i'll hand it over to you for this one johnny so 18th obviously is north melbourne not going to waste too much time on this one this is i've said it a few times before this is right at the very bottom of the rebuild uh i don't want to say pretenders because that's probably a bit unfair but they're below pretenders they're not even on the map um, but look, there are still some reasonable signs. Uh, I think Larky's developing each week as a forward. J- Jaden Stevenson's actually playing some pretty good footy, and I think he's he's fit in quite well. Um, and Jack Zebel is actually starting to hit some form, but it's going to be a long, long way to go. And um, yeah, <laughs> the short answer is yeah. Does seem that they've been a little better in the last couple of weeks. Definitely more competitive. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a slow build, obviously, yeah. just with uh, the, the players that they got rid of. And there's just so many young players there, I suppose. And it's, I don't know, is it somewhat similar to what Adelaide were going through last year? Just trying to learn what a, a new coach is trying to get them to do? and Or is it more than that? Is the talent level even lower than it was for Adelaide? Ooh, good question. I would say it's more similar to what Adelaide had last year um there's a few guys i guess that have been in the system a a few years or maybe you know two or three years and you know guys like zerha i didn't actually realize he was 22 i thought he might have Mm. been a couple of years younger but i do like him a little while um so i still i do see it similar though i think you're bringing in a coach to sort of teach these guys and it's just gonna take time yeah absolutely so things don't change overnight. And, uh, yeah, there's a few gaps at the moment for North, but hopefully we can see some improvement throughout the year steadily. All right, let's jump to 17th. And currently 17th on the ladder is Collingwood. Would surprise quite a few people from the start of the season, but they've only managed the one win so far. So 
What are we going to say about Collingwood? Well, they were meant to be contending for the eight, really. That was sort of the external perception. And I think it's pretty clear now that they're not going to be doing that. So I'd be putting them in the pretenders camp because of that. And it'd be interesting to know what sort of the internal expectations were coming into the year because obviously they lost some really experienced players in the offseason. They had won a final, but I don't know. What do you reckon, Johnny? Did they Surely they didn't expect it to go this badly, but maybe their expectation wouldn't have been quite as high as the previous year. I don't know. I don't think the expectation would have been as high as last year for sure. Um, it can be hard to predict, I guess, or assess where the list is at in a precise moment of time because obviously you you make your predictions with if you're at full strength and if you you know not too many injuries and things like that. Um, but I don't think they would have had the expectations that they did last year. Um, I just come back to the players that they have over thirty years old and guys like Scotty Pendlebury, Steel Sidebottom, Jeremy Howe, They're all over thirty and they're still in their top five best players. Um, and yeah, there's not a lot position. coming up to yeah, challenge those guys for the, being the best player, is there? And no. it, it's the same problem they've had for the last few years that is standing out in most of their games, that f- connection between the mids and the forwards and just any sort of potency in that forward line. So for whatever reason, it's not working. And uh, I guess, you know, in, in the next few weeks, or especially if the losses keep piling up, the word rebuild is going to get bandied around an awful lot in reference to Collingwood. It's a dirty word. No one likes to have it tagged with him. But uh, look, there are still a couple of good youngsters that look okay at the moment. Um, you know, you've got, uh, I think it's, uh, is it McQuery? I think it is. Um, he, he looks all right, the guy from South Australia. Um, you got, you know, a couple of others, like Quainer, obviously. Darcy Cameron, I kind of wonder why they didn't play him from the start of the season, if they thought that this might be a bit of a, not a rebuild year, but let's say, a, I don't know, a retooling year or something. Um, but yeah, they're just there's just a little bit of a gap between those best and the youth. And it's always about that mid-tier, I think. Yeah, mm. Buckley still seems to be getting them to play with pretty good heart. But uh, they've been in, you know, quite a few games. But I guess when the game's there to be won, they just don't seem to quite have what's needed to get over the line at the moment, whether that be, you know, the level of talent or just, uh, you know, what they can actually put out there to really challenge other teams. I don't think they're necessarily that hard to play against at the moment in terms of, you know, the issue we were talking about there with their midfield forward connection. You don't have to kick that many goals to beat Collingwood, maybe. About that forward and midfield connection, that is one thing. They do seem to play this style where they've got to hit a lot of targets by foot. And I don't know if they have enough good kicks in the midfield to do that. Mm, uh, yep. Yeah. All right. So it's a, definitely a challenging year for Collingwood on the cards. And it started pretty poorly. And, you know, they'll probably get it together at some point. But uh, not going to be enough to challenge for the eight is what we're saying here. All right. Back up to the other end of the ladder. We're going to second. And, of course, second is the Melbourne Demons. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I will put them. In, this is going to be a little bit rich, but I'm going. I'm not going contenders for the flag just yet, but I will say contenders for a top four spot. Okay. Uh, I think 
the biggest difference. Everyone keeps asking, what's the what's changed with Melbourne this year? What's changed? And I heard Stephen May say this, I think it was last week. And it's very, very simple. It's really the fact that we were always a good team getting inside 50s. But we're now converting the inside 50s. We're getting forward half turnovers and forward half stoppages. These stats here, so forward half stoppages, uh, in 2020, we were actually, we averaged 21.2. And I think that was about 18th in the comp. We're now 34.8, number one in the comp. Um, Huge turnaround. Massive turnaround. Forward half turnovers, 2020, we were 22.4. And I think that was, uh, that was eighth in the comp. And this year, 30.8, first in the comp. So those two statistics, I think, tell it all. We had the makings of it. We were getting a lot of repeat entries. They were coming back out. We were sort of getting deflated. It makes a massive difference when you lock that ball in the 50 and, and generate some scoring opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I can probably put that down to a couple of things. There's probably more to it than this, but two big differences that I've noticed from last year that would help explain some of that is the amount of pressure we can actually put on in the forward line just with some of the uh, smaller players we've got in there now, Spargo and Piggott chief among them but other players doing their role there as well so the ball isn't cannon uh, like slingshotting out of defense like it was last year so that's one thing and I think the defense is much better organized as well so often we are actually turning it over you know just outside 50 if it's whether it's Brayshaw going up for the mark or if it's a bit further back with Lever and May often we are actually you know turning it around before they actually get it over halfway so it's giving us plenty of chances. The defence is definitely set up very nicely. We quite often on Saturday night seem to almost have that, I guess, a goalkeeper back there. If it was, yeah. you know, and nothing really got over the top, and yeah, no, it's very yeah, even well when it, even when it looked like Richmond was out, which did happen, you know, quite a few times over the course of the game, Melbourne were really quick to get back. And like you're saying, they usually did have sort of that goalkeeper, at least one who could get back more than anyone else and uh, if it did get that far then he was mopping out pretty easily it happened plenty of times the other thing I loved about the way we're playing at the moment and on Saturday night is they really have this way now of playing the percentages I mean we talked about how if you own the corridor that's a great way to go but I thought on Saturday we actually owned the boundary we owned the perimeter um it, we'd, we'd sort of go long down the line or we'd you know try and draw them in with a handball and, and play it close to the boundary and it sort of worked in our favour to create the stoppage as the worst-case scenario, uh, get a nice long kick, a, t- a territory game. So even if it was like a punch 20 metres forward, we were getting that territory and ending with a stoppage and backing our mids to win the ball out of the stoppage. Yeah, the stoppages around the ground did seem to be favouring Melbourne, especially when it got a little bit wetter. The big bodies around the ball, they seemed to be doing pretty well there. And I remember quite a few plays like you're talking about along the wing where they're able to just keep the ball moving forward and... Uh, you know, hit the option. So without get, taking too much risk, they were transitioning it down the wing pretty well. So Absolutely. You found yourself mark. clapping one percenters a lot in this game. <laughs> yeah. <For sure. laughs> All right. That's Melbourne. So unfortunately, they're not flag contenders, according to Johnny, <laughs> even though they're second on the ladder. <laughs> but anyway, that's fine. Maybe a couple more tests and then we'll, we'll reassess. All righty. All right, next on the list is Port, who are currently holding down third position on the ladder. So we've talked about Port a little bit over the first month or so, and what's really stood out 
is just how fast and skillful they are when they get the chance to go. They're hitting targets with regularity. They're they're getting plenty of speed on their game and on the game, and uh, the forward line's functioning really well. It's no longer just Dixon. They've got a few other tools down there like Georgiades, and there's plenty of smalls. Fantasia just seems to have fitted in so well. He's been a fantastic pickup for them. He looked maybe a little bit disinterested at Essen in the last couple of years, and he did have a lot of injury issues as well, but he seems to have found somewhere he really has bought into and wants to play. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking contender as well. Uh, this is a yeah, very potent forward line. Yeah, and as you said, Dixon, Georgiatis, Fantasia, really good game yesterday. The one that I think can really become a game changer for the port, if he stays healthy, is Stephen Motlop. He's just very useful with the ball, very skillful, um, but he can also, you know, pick out a teammate very easily. Uh, I don't think Fantasia was too happy with him spoiling that uh, 60-metre bomb that he had <laughs> hurt, but uh, I think he can be a real, real difference to this team and just one of those guys that could put you over the top. Mm. I guess one knock with Motlop has always been, you know, the defensive stuff. Does he do enough of that? But I guess, you know, when he's having a good game, he can be a match winner as well. So you do need some of those in your side. Absolutely. So I'm happy to say Port are contending for the flag. They're definitely not pretenders. So I'd be expecting them to finish top four again and uh, be, yeah, just be right there towards the end of the season. I'd be pretty surprised if they didn't make another prelim after what they did in the last year's final series and how well they've started the year here as well. Totally agree. And perhaps they'll be even more driven by what happened in last year's final series, that exit at Adelaide Oval at the hands of Richmond. It was a very great... It was a great game, obviously, and uh, they did have some chances to win, although my mate Watson keeps reminding me they weren't that close to winning it. (laughs) Yeah. Of course they weren't. No one remembers the score, do they? Well, they, what they were doing in the last five minutes was they just kept bombing it. They had most of the play, but they just kept bombing it, and Richmond were just taking intercept marks. So, I guess if you know they were a little bit more composed, maybe they could have generated a couple yeah. more chances there. But anyway, they'll probably learn from that. I guess Absolutely. what one other thing I wanted to say about Port was uh, Alia Alia just seems to have strengthened their uh, very strong backline already. So. Obviously, he's a great interceptor, and he really seems to be complementing what they're trying to do as well. Yeah, brilliant get. Um, it's going to make a big difference. For sure. All right. Let's go back down to the other end of the ladder. So, holding up the, the other end, 16th position. Who's sitting in 16th at the moment, Johnny? 16th position is the St. Kilda Football Club. And this one... Secured is a bit of a headache, really, when it comes down to it. Um, but they're a pretender, in long story short. And it just, I think it, a big part of it is the players like Dan Butler, Zach Jones, Brad Hill, Brad Crouch, they're nowhere near hitting their straps at the moment. Um, you know, they're, they're very up and down with their, with their intensity throughout games at the moment. I mean, it's just, I'm not quite sure if it's a confidence thing or not, but there's times when they, as we saw against West Coast a few weeks ago, they can really just flick the switch and apply pressure. And then there's just times where they just look a bit disinterested. They're playing like individuals. Um, I, I didn't really see this coming. I, I didn't think they were going to make the jump to top four, but I didn't think they'd fall out of the top eight or too far out of the top eight. Um, 
I'll give them one more. I mean, they got Hawthorne this week. Give them one more chance to get it going. But I think the best they could hope for this year is scraping into the eight at best. But I, yeah, I don't really see it. Yeah, they do seem to be picking and choosing a little bit at the moment with the effort. And you've heard a lot of the experts talking about how they're just not up for the fight at the moment. And it's a pretty scathing thing to say about a team who's meant to be contending for the top eight. They're nowhere near it at the moment, really. Well, it is a scathing thing to say. I mean, you'd think that would get the fire in the bellies, but yeah, it's disappointing. I guess they're every chance to lose to Hawthorne this weekend, really. Like, you know, well-drilled team that uh, isn't going to make anything easy. So, But it's the type of game you would expect St Kilda to actually be able to do something in as well. Like, if, if they've got anything to give, should be able to put up a decent fight against the Hawks. Yeah, well, you definitely think so. Uh, it is at Marvel Stadium, I guess, so that helps them. But, yeah, uh, they are starting favourites as well, so... It's actually not a bad bet to get on Hawthorne, but uh, yeah, that's my last chance. That's my last throw for them if they if that's a loss. All right. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So we're saying pretenders for St Kilda. So Hawthorne are just one position higher up the ladder, although they have just gone up a bit higher because of their recent win over Adelaide by a couple of points. So I think this was always going to be a really difficult season for them with uh, Gunston and Sicily with long-term injuries. So you're taking out your pillows at either end. And uh, I guess there was a few people who were a bit optimistic about what Hawthorne could do coming into the season, but there were plenty who were really thinking that they were pretty close to the end of whatever they've been trying to do in the last sort of five years, bringing in all these top-up players in through the trade period, mature ages, it's an interesting one. Like, I guess they had to give Clarkson a chance to actually, you know, use his own method after the 2015 Grand Final, see if they could, you know, almost work another miracle. But it does seem a little bit like some of these, maybe in 10 years' time, you might look back at some of these years as kind of like the wasted years for Hawthorne. Say between, like, 2018 and 2020. Like, they weren't really bringing in many young players they weren't getting draft picks they just kept on recycling these players and they're more or less staying pretty similar spot on the ladder it, yeah that's a really good really good point there um he's pretty much regenerated the list about three times i think in his time at the hawks clarko um i agree it, it was a good idea to give him a, a chance to just have another shot at the rebuild and if he could have done it again geez he would have easily gone down as the best coach of all time i think Probably already is. <laughs> he probably he probably already is, um, especially in the era that we're in. But um, the Hawks, very similar to Collingwood, I think, in terms of the list. In a way, not not that similar in terms of the age brackets, but there is a big, big gap between their top players, who quite a lot of them are over thirties, and their youngsters, who really haven't sort of hit their straps yet. Um, you do have guys like you know Warple that who who are very you know they're pretty good performers and they've arrived and they but it's it's probably and, and oh actually the guys like Kajitsky uh, very impressed with him on the weekend and I really like um, Jath as well a little bit like Aaliyah earlier um, so they they're good shining lights but there just hasn't been enough of them I think you're right over the time there's been a lot of uh, gambles on guys like Jonathan Patton Tom Scully. Jaeger O'Meara played a decent game on the weekend, but I think he's been a bit 
you know, hot and cold in his time at Hawthorne. Well, they went out and got Sav Frost, and a lot of people questioned that, you know. So, like, it, I guess, you know, it, it was a strategy that worked for them, but they weren't really bringing in players to complement, you know, top-level players. Like, when they were doing this, they had Jordan Lewis, Sam Mitchell, Lance Franklin, and now that they don't have those guys, bringing in these sort of bit-part players around them, who are sometimes better than that, but... They yeah, I guess. Had, yeah, you're right. They had the core there, and they would bring in the guys like the yeah, yeah, Sean Burgoyne's, Josh Gibson's, uh, Ben McAvoy, I guess, um, James Frawley, like, and it just complemented it very well. Whereas I think now it's yeah, it's, it's tough. It, it, I mean, the leadership isn't what it was, and um, the thing you said about in ten years' time, will this look at, like the wasted years for Hawthorne? I think they'll definitely look at this time in terms of their list management and say, well, I think we probably got that wrong. I mean, it seemed like a bold move at the time to throw caution to the wind and move on, Sam Mitchell, move on Jordan Lewis, get Amira in, top up a bit with these guys. But there's sometimes no substitute for bottoming out, is there, and getting that, that first access to the young talent, the best young talent. Yeah, I guess that's been sort of the antithesis of what Clarkson has wanted to do over the journey. So it probably was going to take something like this where it, they've basically just gone right back to square one almost in terms of, you know, what they're actually able to do. And only now are they, you know, kind of forced to go back to the draft. Yeah. <laughs> it probably it took this. It was either, you know, get rid of Clarkson, which was really never going to happen, or you had to sort of just run this out to its logical conclusion, which has kind of happened. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. So, in terms of the top eight for Hawthorne this year, I'm going to go and know there. So, pretenders for the Hawthorne Hawks in 2021. Clarko's still getting them to play a really, uh, you know, structured game style, and they're not letting teams score a lot against them, at least for most of the game. Sometimes it's breaking open a little late like it did against the Ds, but... Funnily enough, the two games that they've won are actually where they've been down by roughly six goals before, I guess, Clarkson has released the shackles a little bit and allowed them to play. And that was against Essendon and Adelaide on the weekend where they've actually come back and won quite narrow games. But uh, I guess it's not how they're setting up from the start of the game. It is a positive. That It is a positive that they do sort of back themselves and never give up, and um, especially the youngsters that are getting involved in that. But, uh, yeah, look. It's. I mean, you would prefer to have a team down, down like Hawthorne at the moment, but with a coach like Clarkson as opposed to a team that's down and a, a new coach. But um, yeah, look, it's just where they sit at the moment. What do you reckon going forward? Like, there was all that controversy with Kenneth's comments last year about whether, or like Clarkson's contract and everything. Like, is Clarkson gonna see? Over, oversee the next sort of three to five years of Hawthorne trying to rebuild and, you know, create a nucleus that can actually get them into finals and start winning some big finals again? Uh, my, my gut feel is that that is more unlikely than likely. I think he may go on another season next year with the Hawks, but I, I just, yeah, I, I just find that a little bit hard to believe that that the two parties can sort of make that work and go and go forward into the future for another rebuild. I think I just think it would be more likely that there'll be another club that 
tempts Clarko, like maybe a Carlton, for a new challenge, new club, and and he'll be coaching again, but it'll probably be elsewhere. Yeah, uh, I, I would actually like to see it happen. I'd like to see him sort of buck the trend and and try and dig in for another rebuild, but it just goes against the grain of how these things sort of work. I, I feel like he's in that Kevin Sheedy position at the moment slightly, where it's 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 the writing's sort of appearing on the wall. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Probably more likely than uh, unlikely that he'll be moved on at some point or he'll, you know, get a better offer. So it will be interesting to see, but uh, no one can coach at the same club forever, although no. Kevin Sheedy gave it a good go. <laughs> How well, long was he going years, for? Yeah. 27, 27 years, so he's uh, got that covered. All right, let's keep going. We got a little bit bogged down on the Hawks there, but there's plenty <laughs> of good stuff. <laughs> Back up to the top of the ladder, fourth. All right, so this is the Cats, Geelong. Um, yeah, look. Big jump to get up to fourth. I think they started the round around yeah. eighth, so huge win, obviously. Well, look, a 97-point win over the over the Eagles. That bumped them right up to about 120, 123 in percentage, and that definitely helps them separate over the clubs like Sydney and Fremantle and maybe one other. But, so uh, are they I've contenders? Got... They are, are they contenders. Premiership contenders. Yeah. I've got them as premiership contenders. Absolutely. I think Cameron Back made an instant difference. I'd like to see them with about a month of Cameron, but I don't think uh, I don't think it's going to throw any surprises. I think it's going to really have that forward line functioning. They actually seem to play this kind of um, almost like a triangle offense, where it was like Jeremy Cameron. Tom Hawkins and Gary Rowan, and it really sort of threw the Eagles off with their with their sort of um, zone defence, and they were just able to sort of exploit it, exploit it a bit. Um, I like the look of it. Uh, it's it actually freed Rowan up a bit as well. Then he kicked a few goals. So th- there's a lot of unsung heroes in the Cats midfield as well. I think there's guys like Mitch Duncan, Cam Guthrie. These guys just don't for some reason they just don't get the credit I think they deserve, and. I think they're really, really good players. Selwood still offers good value. Um, Tom Stewart, Zach Tui, brilliant users of the ball. I have this team easily having a shot, yeah. It was obviously a very impressive performance, but I don't think I'm as won over by this performance as some people were, just for a couple of reasons. Um, firstly, the game style the Eagles are trying to play with their sort of controlled kicking really doesn't work on that ground at all. And I think once they realized that their effort was just, it was pretty deplorable really. And like the coach even said that. So like, I know Geelong looked really, really good, but I think you got to look at the opposition and they weren't putting up much resistance. So yeah, it's definitely a step in the right direction, but uh I'd like to see Geelong do it against a team that's really coming at them and not uh, not giving up quite as easily. Yeah, look, I'm not looking at that game in isolation too much either. I mean, it was a very, very good performance. Um, but uh, yeah, look, West Coast were atrocious. But um, I would, yeah, like to see the next month with Cameron. But I think that they've got some pretty interesting games coming up. Uh, who have they got this week? They've got... Uh, they've got the Swans in Sydney. That's a winnable game. Um, I think they'll string some wins together. And yeah, look, it's it's more just to look at their team from a whole. And I, I do think they can challenge again. They're 
they're always going to get plenty of wins in Geelong, and it's just a matter of whether it's top eight or top four with Geelong, really. Like, they never really miss the finals. So yeah. they'll be there or thereabouts. And it seems like, uh, you know, having Cameron's obviously going to help them, and uh, they got a bit to work on, but plenty of time to do that. If they can get through the period until Danger comes back as well, I think that will definitely help. Um, but, yeah, I think across the board, it's still a good team. For sure. All right, so the next team we're going to have a chat about is the Sydney Swans. So I was looking super rosy for Sydney in the first three weeks. We were lauding the academy kids and how well the veterans were playing as well. But the wheels do seem to have started to fall off. We referenced this a little bit last week when we reviewed the GWS Battle of the Bridge game and that loss against Gold Coast was a bit of a worry. I think they did add some pretty big outs, Sydney, but... Yeah, I guess the kids are perhaps, you know, just tiring a little bit more quickly than people would have thought. And uh, they're definitely outworked by Gold Coast. So in terms of contenders or pretenders, I think you'd still you still have to say they are contending for the top eight, but it was looking like they were contending for the top four. I know it was very early after three rounds, and they do seem to be a rung or two below that now. They've definitely been brought back to earth a bit. Um, and looking at some of the stats, I mean, they had eight tackles in their forward 50 to Gold Coast 21. That was a, it's a big difference. I mean, Gold Coast came with the pressure. Um, and as I said before, the Gold Coast didn't have a Ruckman. The hit-out count was 76. Sydney's way to 20 Gold Coast away. Um, I, I still I still like this team to make the eight, actually. I think... I, it's like what we were saying about Clarko before. I do trust, uh, I think, I, I, I trust a good coach. And, uh, you know, John Longmire's got a good pedigree and good, um, you know, background with who he's learnt under. And I think he, he, he's the right guy to have these young guys level-headed. So I would probably trust someone like Sydney more to make the eight this year than maybe a, a Frio or something where there's a, a newer coach. So... It's probably the mix they're in, right? Like, they're in that sort of mix for 7th and 8th now. I know it can change again pretty quickly, but they're probably in the mix there with Frio. Um, Maybe, you know, West Coast might be in the lower part of the 8. Who knows? So, like, there's probably, you know, three or four teams that are competing for those last couple of spots in the 8, or at least that's the way it looks at the moment. And look, at the start of the year, I think they would have taken that. For sure, for sure. So, I think it will be important for them to bank a few of their games at home, although their home record hasn't been great over the last year or so. So that might be the determining factor if they can win enough games at home. All right, let's go to sixth on the ladder now. Back over to you, Johnny. So sixth on the ladder is the Fremantle Dockers. Um, I really like the Frio Dockers, and I was thinking about this one a fair bit actually today. Uh, It's right on the cusp right on the cusp of contender and pretender <laughs> but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with contender for the eight uh, I think that I think this team is just very well drilled and they've got a style that is making it hard to play against them and they've got great leadership I, I spoke about David Mundy a few weeks ago he's just about in all Australian form at the moment um, 
And I think you need that, like you need that fourth or fifth midfielder that you can rely on to turn in those performances uh, and you know make an impact. And I really like the midfield. You got uh, you know Fife, Sarong, Brayshaw, um, you know Sarah when he's available. And then if you can throw Mundy and and maybe like a Walters in there, I think it's a good mix. Um, the Derby this week, the Derby as they like to call it in the West. Um, it'll be an interesting th- game, won't it? Geez, th- like. It's coming yeah. at a good time for Freo probably as well. I think it'll be Freo's most winnable derby in a while. So if they can get one over West Coast there, they'll be up and about. And yeah, look, I think they can make the eight. So we're going contenders for Freo. So we've talked a little bit about them over the first month or so. And yeah, we, we really do like what Longmuir's doing. And the team certainly seems to be playing for him. And that's half the battle. Absolutely. All right, back down to the other end of the ladder. We have 14th position, GWS. So uh, you may remember on an earlier episode that we were kind of potting GWS saying they probably weren't going to get a win. <laughs> they proved us <laughs> wrong or that, that <laughs> hypothetical wrong. Um, they have come good in the last couple of weeks in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And look, Toby Green's continuing to get it done and I think he's really making a claim for one of the best small forwards in the comp uh, I think he's probably the best unofficial captain in the league as well at the moment he has been uh, filling in the last couple so, of weeks as, as the acting captain hasn't he because Canelio's been yeah. out so I think he's always kind of been that's their right. spiritual leader so maybe that's a change so. they can look yeah. at going forward like why not have him as captain he's the guy who's always I, leading I from the front yeah. I would personally make him captain. I think, yeah, he's just he leads by example with his performance, and he, I think he's definitely the guy that they they look to for the spark. So, yeah, I mean, Canigolo's absolute sensational midfielder, but I think he would probably be better off being a leadership group guy, and and concentrating on his footy. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. So, in terms of contenders, pretenders for GWS, I think this is one of the ones that's sort of right on the edge. They have lost a lot of talent over the last few years and it just hasn't quite clicked for them. So I am very tempted to go pretenders here because they kind of seem to fit that mould. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they are contending for the eight. What do you reckon, Johnny? I think I think I agree with you. I think they're still in the hunt, but that's, that's the key phrase. I think they're in the hunt. I wouldn't say they're a finals team yet. Um... But they, you know, they, with a little bit of a good, good rub of the green, they might get some results that will put them in that position. So I'm with you. They do seem to have got a little bit of their ball movement back. So that was what was really obvious last year. It was just really dour with a lot of what they were trying to do with the ball movement, very slow. So I think they've got that back a little bit and uh, a little bit hungrier for the contest in the last few weeks. So yes, for sure. They do seem to struggle to kick big scores, though. They're very reliant on Toby Green in that forward line. So I guess that's one reason why, if looking at it from an opposition point of view, you'd say GWS are very gettable, even and when they are playing. As, as much as I like Himmelberg, uh, he's, not quite, um, he's not quite ready to take the best defender every single week yet. I think it's a better team with Finn Lason back in the team as well. He's pretty good around goals. For and sure. uh, another tool. So there's a bit to like there. And uh, yeah, maybe they can keep improving. But uh, 
if I had to make a prediction right now, I'd say probably they'd be finishing just outside the eight in probably that sort of ninth to 11th range, but it'll be pretty close. I think that's fair. All right, so the next one we're going to have a look at is 13th on the ladder. 13th on the ladder is the Blues. And there's no easy or polite way to say this. They are pretenders. There's no doubt about it. They have got games against Essendon, the Bulldogs, and Melbourne coming up, which could get a little bit ugly. Um, This team is just so unaccountable when it comes to defending. Uh, I just find every week they're on the on all the talk shows, they're always talking about guys like uh, Plowman or whoever it is, just not sort of tracking back to the right position and, and sort of just always looking at the contest, not being aware of what their actual role is. And it's it seems to happen every week. It's not one of those things that they've just picked out and gone, oh, they'll be they'll probably know about that. They'll be better next time. It seems to be a repeated thing with uh, with Carlton and. It's just, yeah, that, that's what gets me the most about them is just they're, they're unaccountable defending and they, they leak a lot of scores. And I like them at times when they get their ball movement up and running using the corridor. It looks nice, but they just don't defend well enough for me. Is this a coaching thing or a personnel thing or a combination? Like, it's been like this for quite a while now, really, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think, I don't think it's that much of a personnel thing. I mean, it's, they could maybe use it a little bit more in terms of a I mean well actually no I don't think so sorry I think they've got they've got some key posts there like guys like Weedering they should be better they should be better yeah I think it's a developmental thing I think when you start like it's okay for players young players to make mistakes but when you start seeing mistakes made over a long period of time repeatedly that's when you've got to start calling the coaching the question for sure so 100% in agreement there Johnny definitely pretenders so People were talking about that they would be pushing for the finals, and I think in the evidence of the first six weeks, they're a mile off it. So, yep, 100%. Up to them to change perception and uh, see if it happens, but I won't be holding my breath. All right, the Tigers are sitting down at seventh at the moment. So, they're still the benchmark, but I think the bench is getting a little wobbly. Three and three for Richmond to start the season. Yeah. Thought. So, I guess they do have a few injuries now. I'm not sure how long Martin will be out for, and Lambert as well. Uh, but uh, yep. and I think there's a few other guys they had out as well. N- not huge injuries like some of the clubs have, but they're definitely important players. So maybe it'll be a little bit of a repeat of what Richmond's tried to do the last couple of years, where they just try and get to the buy in some sort of shape and sort of launch another assault towards the finals. They do seem to like to build in that second half of the season, really ramp things up. So they might be relying on doing that again. It it does look like that. I think um, they're probably going to take the approach of just, just just get into that position where they can challenge, and then it becomes where that, that, like, Get in, get a decent position in the eight, and just go that next step when when you you know when it's required. But um, right now it's looking like they just yeah they they just seem to miss that little bit of magic at the moment. I guess I mean uh, it, it they would look like they were beating at their own game on Saturday night, and I, I would still not be that worried about them. Um, and they're obviously contenders. 
But there's a bit of soul searching to do there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it'd be naive of anyone to say that Richmond aren't flag contenders, even though they have had the three losses so far this season. They're the defending premiers, and uh, it's going to take a bloody good team to knock them out of the finals if that is indeed what's going to happen. But uh, it's a great trick until it doesn't work, this whole ramping up in the second half of the season. You could leave yourself with too much work to do and just never quite get there. Nothing's for sure, I think there's I definitely There's definitely a target they'd want to reach of, of a number of wins uh, the, by mid-season, but um, I totally agree with you. Like It can get out of hand. And I guess one interesting thing will be now that Dusty's out with concussion this week, like what do they look like without him? Like I know he doesn't always have the biggest impact, although he's had some fantastic games this year, but you know, it is a legitimate question, I think. Like he's been their best player in a, most of their big games over the last five years. So would Richmond have won these games without Dusty? I'm not sure that they would have. I think even if he doesn't perform, Dusty's one of those players that can command attention just by being on the field. And, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a different Richmond team without him. He, it'll stick out a bit like a sore thumb. Um, but, yeah, very interested to see how they'll go. I'm not sure who would come in yet. But, um, yeah, you sort of only know Richmond with Dusty at the moment, so... I guess it's yeah. it's probably a bit of an unfair question because the whole game is almost set up to actually allow Dustin to thrive in a lot of ways in terms of how he moves from the midfield to the forward line and you know getting him isolated, especially if they get a matchup they like. So that's true. I guess when he's not there or it's just not happening for him, they're almost putting uh, Shy Bolton in that role now. Obviously, he doesn't quite have the strength that uh, Martin has, but. He's a very skillful player, and he does get to the right spots as well. So maybe eventually um, he might actually take over the mantle. It'll still be a fair while. Dusty's still pretty young, at least plenty of good years left in him. But uh, it's, it is interesting that they do try and use Shy Bolton in that sort of pseudo-Martin role when uh, he's not able to do it. I'm definitely a fan of Bolton. I think um, he's really come on a lot in the last couple of years. And, yeah, I think he would probably be the guy for that sort of midfield forward, I guess, Go between. I think he's yeah. got the spark. He's got the speed for sure. And, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe if he bulks up a little more, Dusty can teach him the fend off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's only one guy that can do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to eighth on the ladder now. So eighth on the ladder is Brisbane Lions. Um, yeah this this was a really tough one. They're definitely a contender for the finals. Um, undecided on whether they can contend for the flag, though. Um, I just... I, I think I think Lockie Neal's going to be a massive loss. A massive loss. I mean, they pretty much base a lot of their midfield play around Neal extracting the footy. And it's... I, I just think if you lose that, it almost changes the whole shape of the midfield. And I'm really interested to see how they'll do it. But uh, it's... It's one injury I wouldn't... I would say he would be very close to the last person they wanted injured. For sure. It'll make it a lot harder for them. They do They do seem to have come good in the last couple of weeks. They've got their scoring going. A bit more of an even contribution. But 
I think we've referenced this on an earlier podcast as well, just how important Neil is to what they're doing around stoppage in particular. So he'll definitely leave a big hole and uh, it'll be interesting to see what Brisbane's able to do in that extended period without him. Yeah, Port Adelaide next week and uh, the Dockers in the West. So not exactly easy games. No. So how they hold up in those couple of games will probably tell us a fair bit about them. All right, so the next one we've got to have a look at is Essendon in 12th position. So obviously had a really good win in the Anzac Day game. Are they contending for the eight? I would say at this stage, probably not. So I'll put them in the pretenders camp. I do do that with a little bit of hesitancy because they do seem to be getting something going, but I'm just not sure that they'll be winning enough games to really be pushing for those last couple of spots in the finals. So it does seem like Rutten has brought a little bit in terms of uh, the pressure, in terms of trying to get that into the game style, and they are getting a bit better now at locking it in their forward half as well, which uh, is obviously a good way to get a bit more score on the board. And their midfield's a bit deeper now as well, so Parrish is spending a lot more time in there, and uh, now that they've got Parrish, Merritt, McGrath, and Heppel running through there at various stages, it does become a bit harder to you know, to quell all those guys at once. So uh, it does seem to be clicking a bit more for Essendon. They are a young developing team, though, and uh, it does take time for a new coach to really instill, uh, you know, the ethos of what he's trying to do. And I know he was there last year, but, you know, it was a bit of a gap year in a lot of ways. Um, I, too, agree about about that. Uh, with, um, I guess, the, the, the Rutten style is now starting to, sort of bear some fruit. It was tough at first and he was copying a bit for it. Uh, But it's nice to see a coach just stick with it. And even when there's criticism, they believe in what they're doing and the players are buying in. So I think that was great. Um, Yeah, Darcy Parrish moving to the middle. I would have have liked to have seen it earlier in the season. It was a brilliant move. I think he got like 42 possessions or something and a couple of goals. So... It becomes, you know, it's a quality midfield when it comes to skill. Um, the big problem has always been winning contested ball, I think. Um, they are, they're pretty small, most of those guys, compared yeah. to a lot of midfielders running around. So contested possession is a bit of a problem there, I suppose, with the smaller bodies. I think, you know, I would have loved to have seen what it would have been like if Josh Dunkley came across. But, um, yeah, I think I would have to agree with you. I, I also went thought pretenders, but I definitely had some hesitance because it's not a bad team, but they're just lacking in some areas. I also still think that guys like Tip and Woody need to kick a bag for them to have a chance in a lot of games. And that's what happened yesterday. He, he did was, kick a bag, yeah. He was brilliant. <laughs> he was brilliant. But um, I just wonder if it's not Tip and Woody, like sometimes Kale Hooker turns in a good game up board. But Stringer's been contributing And, and Stringer well, has well. been decent. Yeah, you're right. Um, but it's just it's just not quite consistent enough at this point for me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, let's jump back up to ninth on the ladder. Yes, and ninth on the ladder is the Crows. Um, They've dropped yeah, a little bit. Look, they were this, up in the top eight for most of the first month or so. They were, and they were very close to staying in the eight. But look, this team's a pretender for me. Uh, there's a lot to like about him. There's a lot to like about what Manny Nix has done this season and what he was building to. But I just think this team's still too young. Like there's just there's a lot of players that haven't made it to 50 games yet. And I think the best 
the best example of this was they were 14 goals straight at half time and finished the game with 13, oh, sorry, 16 goals three. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be winning a game if you've kicked 14 goals in a half, surely. <laughs> so. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think, yeah, they're probably outperformed where most people would think they'd be at this stage yep. of the year. And it did sort of start at the end of last season as well. So they're definitely playing more like the way Matty Nix wants them to play. But as you're saying, there is still a lot of uh, young guys there. So it is tricky to see them making a real, you know, beeline for the eight. They probably are going to steadily drop. But uh, I still think they're going to be a pretty tricky opponent, especially at Adelaide Oval. They're not going to be the walkover they were in the first no. half of last season. No, definitely not. All right, so we've got another pretender there. Let's move to 10th on the ladder now, and that's the West Coast Eagles. So they've had a bit of a torrid time of it over the last few weeks. They've been badly exposed in both of their last road games. So they're actually up against St Kilda at Marvel, but managed to leak the last sort of seven or eight goals to concede that game and then we were talking earlier about what happened in Geelong where it was almost a hundred point loss so there are definitely question marks over what's going on with the Eagles even though they're so good at home maybe they are just the Optus Stadium bullies that's about it the the midfield goes missing for periods of time they're not winning enough of the ball in the contest or the clearance, even when they're winning games, they're sort of relying on efficiencies rather than actually, you know, winning a lot of the ball in those areas. So it just doesn't like seem very sustainable to me. And the injuries uh, that they've got, yeah, they're missing quite a few in the midfield in particular, a few from the back line as well. I know Hearn's out, but it just doesn't seem like it's quite gelling this year. And I guess there was a bit of this last year as well where they weren't too happy about being in the hubs and never quite got going, but then they were awesome back at Optus Stadium. So I guess they're the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde team at the moment in the AFL. Oh, definitely. Um, Yeah, it's a shame. I, I like watching the Eagles play, but um, yeah, Saturday was... Very un West Coast like. I can't remember. I can't remember too many games that West Coast gets smashed in. Um, yeah, I think Adam Simpson was skating on their performance. I think I'm sure I heard the word weak used, and there's not many coaches that use that word. Uh, so yeah, he was not happy at all. Um, the injury list. It look. There's always a couple of teams where it's probably just not going to work out for them. Uh, because of the injuries, like they, they might have had high hopes and people fancied them, but these injuries are pretty, pretty brutal. I mean, you got yeah, yeah, Hearn, as you said, that's a key one. Uh, Liam Ryan, that's massive out, and six to eight weeks it looks like. Yeah, um, then you got Shuey and Elliot Yo is a massive piece of that midfield puzzle. Uh, makes it pretty much all work, I guess. Um, yeah. So you would have thinking going into the year, like most people would have said that they were in the flag conversation. So if we use that as the marker, I think they are pretenders. They're not in that flag conversation at the moment. And based on some of these performances, even if they do sort of steady the ship a little bit, there's still going to be a lot of doubts on them for a while to come, I think. I think they're definitely pretenders, uh, as you said. And I think, apart from the injuries, I think just the flakiness that they've had in the last few weeks. I mean, this performance was one of them. 
Uh, they're switching off against St Kilda a few weeks ago. Um, we talked about Nick Natanui a few weeks ago and how he looked a lot bigger. Do you think that he's quite as fit aerobically as he needs to be? Because it seemed like Reece Stanley really just ran him into the ground on the weekend. Yeah, I think there is a bit to that, that maybe he isn't as fit as he has been in previous seasons. And I guess the other thing is just, you know, his want to get around the ground and actually, you know, provide an option for his team or just to get back in in defence. Like, he's never been a player who takes a lot of marks. And, uh, yeah, I guess Stanley really did expose him being able to, you know, make an option for Geelong going forward. So, yeah, a few questions on Nick Nat for the first time in a little while as well, I suppose. Mm. All right. 18 out of 18, we've got all the way to the end, and the last team is the 11th place team. The 11th place team is, I'm pretty sure it's the Gold Coast, and it is. <laughs> um, so I said just moments ago that there's always a team where they have high hopes, people think maybe there could be a big mover, but it just it just doesn't seem to come together for them because of injuries or whatever. I wouldn't quite make Gold Coast that team, but I don't think injuries have helped. I think when it comes to guys like Sam Day, Rail, uh, who else? Uh, Hollands, Wits, Jack Smith, all their Ruckman. Um, for a team like this, I think you need those. You need those guys playing regularly. Um, good performance over the weekend, but would love to see that sort of effort on a regular basis and. Yeah, I just, I have to say pretenders. I just think that it's not their year this year. Their year might come, but it's not this year. Not this year. Yeah, there there wasn't a lot of people, but a few people were saying, you know, they could jump up and make the eight this year with the amount of talent they had. And, you know, Matty Rao going down again didn't help that. And all the other <laughs> injuries you've talked about there, not having a Ruckman obviously doesn't help. But uh, I guess, yeah, if they can just keep, performing at home at least, putting that pressure on, then uh, it'll be good for the development. But, yeah, it doesn't look like they're going to make the finals for their first time in their history. So I think based on that, we have to say pretenders. What would be a good result for them this year in terms of wins? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think if you could get to... If you get to nine wins, I think you'd be pretty happy with that. So you you probably, you know, like three or so games off the finals. Anything less than that is going to be a bit of a problem. And, you know, it's by no means is it going to be easy for them to get those nine wins. What are they at the moment? Two? I think they're on two. Yes. So what do you reckon? How many wins would be sort of a pass I agree. I agree. I think nine would be decent. Look, you could maybe get away with eight, but uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, anything less than that. <laughs> is think, uh, a little uh, bit of yeah. Like, so nine would be nice. They can sort of at least say, oh, you know, we, we got through it. We took some good scalps. You know, maybe if they could get beat a top team, that'd be something. But we, you know, it'd be good to see this team arrive and really make a you know big case for the eight and play some great footy like they did on the weekend and a lot more regularly. they got plenty of talent there. And, yeah, eventually it is hopefully going to click for them, but it uh, doesn't seem like it's going to be this year for one reason or another. 
All right, well, mm. we've pretty much used up all our time going through all 18 teams uh, in Contenders versus Pretenders, so hopefully you enjoyed that slightly different take on uh, what we did there. Uh, next week, we'll return to service as usual with Game of the Round, True, True or False, and a few other things we do. But basically, that's all we've got time for. So if you do want to drop us a line, email is footytimemail at gmail.com. Other than that, Thanks for listening and uh, get the word out there about footy time. Thanks a lot, guys. See you next time.